This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. While others may not know all the secret sins we harbor, God does, and we're to respond accordingly. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend, co-host, partner in crime, Dr. James Dolezal. James, good to see you. Denying crime, but glad to be here. Yeah, well, okay, all right. Um, Not that I'm aware of. (laughs) (laughs) Today we uh, wanted to have a conversation just between the two of us on the subject of divine knowledge. I, I cannot think of someone I would rather have this conversation with So when we talk about God's knowledge, we're just going to jump right into this. I think the implications will become clear. We want to learn more about God, and what is it that the Scriptures teach us about God's knowledge? Simply that it's perfect, but let's bring that out a little bit. Sometimes we call this omniscience, uh, and and just a simple way of saying that God knows all things. Um, And so when most Christians talk about God's knowledge, uh, the first thing that comes into their mind is um, the question of scope. That is to say, uh, is God's knowledge embracive of all things knowable? Right. um, And even of all potential knowable things? Uh, So it is a question of, does he know all things actual? Yes. That could have happened. Yes. And that's, well, that's uh, actually, that are actually so. Does he know all things that could be actually so? And then there's the other question, does he know all things that, you know what I mean, that could be, the the things that are actually so that aren't. Um, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl again this year, you know, our sound engineer is hopeful uh, in his in his Eagles <laughs> jersey, but, but God knows. And we can say, you know, we can say that God knows these. So he knows the things that will be. He also knows the things that could be but aren't. Uh, and he knows the things that are and that have been perfectly and comprehensively. So he's not learning. He's not knowing everything at that moment and then at the next moment. You know, sort of he sees everything that's happening and learns all of it. Theologians will say that his knowledge is not uh, temporally indexed. Uh, mm-hmm. That is to say, uh, acquired in a moment after previously not having it, that kind of thing. A text that uh, we often go to is Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite, is how the NASB translates it. More literally, um, innumerable, um, which is to say uh, you can't say that there's, as it were, um, a limit or a boundary, a quantification, uh, so to speak, with regard to God's knowledge, so that we don't want to think of his knowledge as a sort of um, cosmic disembodied astrophysicist or something like this, right. where what he has is he just has a lot more knowledge than other things that have a lot of knowledge. He's really, really, really smart. Right. And, th- and then that's a kind of enumerated knowledge. I mean, Einstein's knowledge or Isaac Newton's knowledge with regard to physics is an enumerated knowledge. It just happens that the enumeration of their knowledge with regard to physics is, well, a great deal than yours and mine, Yeah, if I can speak for you. Uh, you uh, you, you, and you so, can. And so I think in that respect, we want to be careful. Um, we want to say that God knows all things, but we want to be careful of thinking that as some kind of discrete sum. Right. So that when it says his knowledge is innumerable, that is to say, there's nothing that can be known that lies outside of his knowledge, but we also want to be careful not to make that a sort of um, 
very high yet still quantified thing. As the Bible says, it's in fact not that kind right. of thing. Right, so it's, we're not saying you and I know uh, 10 things, God knows a million things. Right, that's not that kind. So, because if that were the case, there'd be a real finite proportion between your knowledge and God's knowledge, um, in which case his knowledge would be an enumerated way of knowing. And that's what Psalm 147.5 is saying it isn't. If you want a text uh, that just simply says God knows all things, we can go to something like 1 John 3.20. You know, God is greater than our heart, uh, and it says that God knows all things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the doctrine of omniscience on, on one level isn't very difficult to come to. It's not like the doctrine of the Trinity where we need to bring together a few different strands of data uh, and think them together at once in order to come to the doctrinal conclusion, mm-hmm. or something like the doctrine of divine simplicity, where we can, we can point to verses here, right? And the, and the, this is one of those doctrines that lies much nearer the surface level of the text when it comes to, as it were, gathering up things the Bible would have us believe mm-hmm. about God. Some of them require us to do a little more spade work and contemplation. Mm-hmm. Others of them uh, require less of it. This is one of those where you can have right. God's knowledge is innumerable. God knows all things, or or as Elihu says uh, in Job 37, uh, 16, that God's knowledge is perfect or complete. And again, the idea is that there's no, there's nothing potential in it, unfinished, unactualized, there's a completeness to it. All right, so, so given that it's relatively straightforward to find texts in the Bible that, that show us this, right. that explain this to us, What's the significance of it? Why is it so important that we think about it, that we, you know, have this conversation about it, that we that we uh, affirm this? Yeah, good, that's a good question, because with regard to the scope, we don't just want to say, oh, isn't this interesting? There's nothing God doesn't know. Right. It, in the case of, like, the John, the first John passage, um, it's actually part of how he accounts for God being greater than our heart that there are things uh, known to God, and I think the idea is that God can deal with our hearts perfectly because there's nothing unknown to him. Uh, so that, you know, for, we pray, acquit me of hidden faults, yeah. and we're praying that to God, but then again, hidden to us, right. and, not and, to him. And, and you're also saying that this is actually good news. I mean, I was thinking today about the way in which people are afraid of, for instance, Google's knowledge of them. I had a conversation... <laughs> put, me on, put me on that list. Yeah, no, well, right. And I, I, last night I had a conversation with someone who just uh, joined the Secret Service, and he said they have ways of finding everything you've ever done on the internet, you know, if you're, if you're uh, applying for the Secret Service. And whether or not that's accurate, I don't know. But, but that... That kind of thing strikes fear into our hearts that there's this sort of omniscient well it's not really omniscient but but you know that there's this this mechanism out there that has this kind of deep knowledge that, that of knows us. that knows what no particular individual you know of knows uh, it's it's something right. that kind of gets it and I and actually in scripture this comprehensive universal knowledge of God is actually it actually is used in both ways it's meant to it's meant to strike heart in the fear of the unrepentant and the wicked all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do yeah. Hebrews 4 and yet you can think of a text like second chronicles 16:9 where it says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his so there's a sense in which God's knowledge uh, which is perfect um, is also that by which he supports his people, uh, and it's also that by which he strikes fear in the hearts of those who go on in unrepentant sin as if there was 
privacy. And I think that's one thing. What does this do? It explodes the notion of privacy with regard to our relationship to God. That can be good news mm-hmm. uh, for the believer. Um, that's dreadful news uh, for the one who thought that he was getting away with this and giving no account Pull, to God. Pulling one over on God. But you're right, because there is another fear that we often have, and, and sometimes it's it's somewhat justified, at least in our human relationships. We will say, nobody really understands or could understand or know what it is that I'm going through. And so that's a that's, you know, the opposite of fearing Google. That's saying, I I really don't there's no one who can know all of this about me. There are so many factors here at, at play. And sometimes it's not just that others don't know. Sometimes what troubles our hearts is that we don't know we what don't troubles understand us. It. Yeah. We're an enigma to ourselves. And the Bible actually invokes this doctrine of God's comprehensive knowledge to give us the assurance that while we may not know all that troubles us, uh, God does. Right. Um, by the same token, though, while others may not know all the secret sins we harbor God does, yes. uh, and we're to respond accordingly. If we entrust ourselves to Him in faith, based upon His promises and acts of redemption, great acts of redemption, um, then this is a great consolation. You know, where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee? Uh, ascend to heaven, descend to Sheol, take the wings of the dawn, dwell in the remotest part of the sea. There, He's perfectly kept by the knowledge of God. Yeah, and and you may have been thinking of this exact text as well in your comments earlier, but. I was thinking of what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Uh, when we don't know how to intercede as we ought, mm. the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf because he knows us perfectly and he knows exactly what we need. And even when we don't know how to express our deepest longings or, or certainly know how to assess our needs. Let's move out bigger then in terms of the implications of this scope of omniscience. Um, we can talk about how it personally is a basis for convicting us of our sin mm-hmm. um, or to encourage us when we are troubled in any way. It also more broadly is a foundation for divine creation and providence. Uh, we're talking about special providence in this way, but even general providence, the idea that God governs all things. If he's to govern all things wisely, if he's to govern all things uh, intelligently, if as it were, um, it requires that he have perfect knowledge of those things. And I was thinking of Psalm 104, 24, where the psalmist says uh, of God, how many are your works? He's contemplating the the manifold glory of God in in his handiwork. But then he says, in wisdom, you have made them all. And so there's this idea in which there's nothing that is made to be by God that is unknown to God that remains an enigma to God. God is not baffled by the world. He's the wise orchestrator and governor and director of the world and all things in it. And that is a very good news for us because any anyone who's been in any kind of decision-making position or, or leadership position knows that what you need to make really good decisions and to lead wisely is you need understanding, you need knowledge of the situation, how many bad decisions have been made for lack of knowledge. And and one of the things that that drives home is that God's wisdom, because it's based on his innumerable knowledge, right. is perfectly wise. He, in a sense, we might say he's, he's taken everything into account in his wisdom and in his wise providence. So can we move into the question then of how? 
in other words, we can talk about scope and comprehensiveness uh, and the perfection of it. And I mean, this is uh, the philosophers would say, the man who knows things best is the one who knows them not only in their consequences, but also in their principles. That is to say, he understands not just what is there, but from whence, the why, the wherefore, the, the, that's really where comprehensive knowledge is. All so right. then the question, how does God come to have, or does he even, is that even the right way to say it? Does he come to have? Well, that's, that's a very good question, because we wouldn't say God has educated himself. Okay, but, and this is where it gets a little dicey, sometimes with regard to the biblical data, we have texts that describe God as a searcher, that describe God as someone, he's portrayed to us as making an investigation. Even the text I mentioned from Second Chronicles, his eyes move to and fro throughout the whole earth, and it almost looks like he's hunting for mm-hmm. something. So some will take a text like that, or even the the Hebrews four text, and oh, you know, the the eye where all things are naked and laid bare before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, and it almost makes it look like God is a comprehensive. Um, investigator of things in the world. He's got a huge library, and he's looking through it for just the right piece of information. And he just happens to be the best one equipped to search out everything rapidly. Okay? All right, So, and, and, and we wouldn't say that. We would say God is uneducated. Right, and I want to get to why we say that, because with re- first with regard to those texts, I will, I will say this and then try to defend why I say it. Um, I think texts like that are designed not to describe to us the mode by which God knows. In other words, it's, it's using a mode improper or imprecise. Like when Genesis 11 says that God you know, goes down to the plain of Shinar and it says, he came down, or he says, let us go down— mm-hmm. We don't believe that God is that God is circumscribed to place such that He must only be at a place after locomotively, you know, right. leaving so, one place. Uh, right. sm- smoke is reaching His nostrils. This yes, kind there's of, no, an there, there are no olfactory senses, and God doesn't zip about from here to there as if He wasn't there until He got there by some mode of transportation. Okay. But the Bible will use that language to give to really give the sense of because that's how in our experience. Persons giving attention to and dealing with affairs do so. Okay. And I think that's actually why the Bible uses the investigative type language to describe his knowledge, because for us, those who give attention and show care about something um, do so by this investigating. So it, it appropriates that mode imprecisely to God. So given that that's how we should understand those texts, let's take this last minute and say, why is that important? Why is it important that we say he's not searching, he's not being educated, he's not looking it up in the stacks? So I'll come to, I want to look at one text just to establish that, uh, and it's the text in Isaiah 40. These are really familiar verses probably for a lot of our readers. Who has, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens by a span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? In other words, who has, as it were, put a limit on and taken the measure of the world? And the answer is, of course, God himself. But then it goes, but who has done that to God? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or literally measured or marked off the Spirit of the Lord? How would we do that? How would we measure or mark off the Spirit of the Lord? If we were the source of God's knowledge, and that's where, the, that's where Isaiah goes, then we would be, as it were, the tutors of God, the teachers of God, and we would, to that extent, be the ones who were, as it were, putting the measurement on him. Who, as his counselor, has informed him? With whom did he consult? And then here it comes. Who gave him understanding? And that really is the question with regard to mode. With regard to what God knows 
all things perfectly, both in consequences and in principles and the relation between all of them, yes. How is it so, not by way of gaining understanding or information, who taught him in the path of justice and who taught him knowledge, and here it is, and informed him in the way of understanding? And this is what we want to say. Isaiah here is making a statement about the manner, not just the scope or the breadth, but the manner of God's knowing all things. And the argument he's making is he knows all things, but not by way of information, not by way of being taught or informed, so that when I inform you, a form of truth not in your mind is put in your mind by something putting it there. A a teacher or an event or something is the source of your knowing it. With God, his perfect knowledge is actually what informs the world. In wisdom, you have made all things. It's not a wisdom gained from the world. It's a wisdom God has in and of himself that then is imposed upon and manifested in the world. So that when we say that God is untaught, uh, we don't mean that he doesn't know. We mean that there's no knowledge lacking such that a teacher would give it to him. When we say he's uninformed, we don't mean that he lacks wisdom. Uh, we mean that he doesn't gain it from outside himself. When we say that he's uneducated, education means the educing form in a mind. God doesn't have knowledge by some process of formation or educing uh, vis-a-vis a teacher. So that when we say God's uninformed, untaught, uneducated, we mean because he's so perfect in knowledge, he doesn't need those things. He doesn't need to know in that way. Yeah, it's an entirely different way of looking at knowledge and the gaining of knowledge than we're used to because we're creatures and we're finite and we do have to learn from an outside source. And even Einstein has to learn, in a sense, from an outside source. So that that's a great way to end. Maybe I can close with this quote because there is more to discuss, but maybe I'll close with this quote. And, and tell me if this summarizes what you were saying. It's from Wilhelmus Abrakel. The knowledge of God neither has its origin in the creature nor does it flow from the creature to God. Rather, it flows from God himself to the creature. I'll just add my amen to that. That gets the, the that's it. James that, yeah, Dolls all sign off. That's, every, that's everything in a single statement. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for listening to us today. And we hope this has been helpful. We love hearing from you. If you have a chance, drop us a line and let us know what other topics we might discuss that would that would be useful to you. Uh, if you have the opportunity to donate, you can do that. If you have the means to donate, the capacity to donate, you can do that at uh, placefortruth.org. There's a donate button there. And alliancenet.org. There is a donate button there as well. As always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go a brief interview about an eternal truth.